And um, we're probably going to be in Ephesians for a while over the next couple weeks. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and just uh, pray one more time, open us up. Father God, I thank you so much for this night, Lord, to come together with all my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, to worship you, Father God, to exalt your name, Lord. And we thank you for uh, brothers and sisters who come here to serve, Father God, to serve with music, with, with poems and psalms, Father God, who give their time in, in different areas, Father God, the soundboard and in and, and every different way, the people who go and get the pizza. We just thank you, Father God, that we can come together as one body. And so, Lord, I ask for the remainder of tonight, Lord, that you would just open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word, Father God, and that you would just speak your message through my lips, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today, and we've just started this series on biblical relationships. And I told Pastor Mark Sunday that I was going to be talking about biblical manhood, Probably. Now, I said probably for a reason, because I know that most of the time when I have something planned and I open up the Word of God, He sends to send me in a, in a different direction. And uh, I was actually looking at, uh, at a message, and I started to write my intro, and then realized my intro was an entire sermon. So I stuck with that, and I saved the rest for next week. But um, that's a true story, by the way. Um, Last week, we were talking about our relationship as Christians to the rest of the world, right? And what type of lifestyle uh, that we should model before the world. Um, we're not of the world, but in it. And we're going to be looking, as the weeks go on, as, uh, as I already mentioned, biblical manhood, uh, biblical womanhood, I guess. We're going to look at, at marriages and, and different things like that. But before we get into any of that, Today we're going to talk about a Christian's relationship to sin and to holiness. Because these are things that are part of our everyday walk and affect, you know, sin affects our lives in in more ways than we could ever really understand, you know. And when we allow sin to to continue in our lives, it, (laughs) it has a very real effect on our relationships on our relationship to God, to each other, to other people. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. So starting in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past filling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and renewed or and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, 
but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, starting back at uh, the beginning of, the, uh, of our verses, at verse 17, Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, I want to know, he says no longer walk, right? Because we've all been in that place. Whenever they use the word Gentile, just for our, our purposes, just replace that with the word, you know, ungodly, you know, outside of, of Christ, okay? Just think of it as that. No longer walk as those who don't have God in their life. And we all, at one point in our lives, walk like that, right? But what happened? We got saved. <laughs> well, that was a simple answer, right? Jesus Christ came, and by the power and the conviction of his Holy Spirit, he spoke truth in our, our hearts, and he draw, uh, drew us into his kingdom. And as every one of us laid down our lives and surrendered to him and just cried out, Lord, forgive me. Teach me. He gave us the free gift of eternal life, right? And with that, he gave us newness, newness of life. But you see, those without Christ don't have that. And it says that they walk in the futility of their mind, that their understanding is darkened, and that they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and the blindness of their hearts, right? It says that they were past their feelings, working in lewdness, uncleanness, and in greed. And again, we, we were all there in some ways or another. Many in, in more ways, yeah, right? But that's not important. You know, the same thing with telling our testimony. It's not really about how bad we were. It's about how good God is, you know. And that's the beauty of it. It's how good God is. We were all selfish, selfish individuals, just as the world without Christ is selfish. And you know the saddest part about that? We all knew. We all knew. And we just didn't care. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That means the moment we walked into the kingdom of God, the moment he gave us that gift of salvation, all that darkness became light. All that emptiness was filled right? The, the power of sin and death over our light, life was broken by
by the payment of Jesus Christ on that cross. And we no longer have to live in the futility of our minds. We no longer can say that <laughs> we're alienated from God because of our ignorance, because now we know, right? But I want you to think for a second. I want, you, I want us to think of what are the things that characterized our lives before Christ? What are the things that as you look, um, I don't know, sometimes... I see people, and I see their lifestyle, and I, I see, you know, the anger and the burden and all these things, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, you know. But I want you to think of, of those things that you see in others and that were part of your, your own life, things like anger, right, hatred, lack of self-control, things like greed, things like... Um, um, you know, just ongoing pain and suffering, despair, worry. Anything opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, that's right, right? Theft, murder, whatever. I want you to think of those things and ask yourself this. How many, how many of those things are we still holding on to? How many of those things do we still see creeping up in our lives? You know, we can never overemphasize who we are in Christ or the freedom, the, the absolute freedom that we have uh, in his spirit. And because of that, because 2 Corinthians tells us that we are a new creation and all those old things, having to walk in anger, having to walk in worry. You know, I was thinking uh, something in one of those songs. Oh, we are no longer slaves to fear. You know, I, I love that. Because uh, I speak about this all the time, but uh, since we've been married, our, Courtney and I, uh, our lives have been riddled with uh, <laughs> some level of uncertainty. I mean, just since day one is how it's always been. And even right now, you know, there are some things going on in my life that are a little difficult. But I don't have to be afraid. And that's amazing. I don't have to... I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to think about the guilt of yesterday because God is all in all. And he has given us new life and he has broken those bondages and he has given us his provision and promises. You know, we have as new, creature, or new creations of Christ, we have no reason to hang on to those things from before. We have no reason to hang on to to the anger and to the sinfulness and to the worry and the doubt and all those things. You know what, really? As children of God, we have no right. We have no right because we were bought at a price, right? We were bought at a price. Christ already paid for those things. Verses 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed... You have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and being renewed and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, the new man 
which was created according to who? According to God, in true righteousness and in holiness. And this is the truth of Christ. It's kind of, I love finding these little things, and maybe I'm just entertaining myself, I don't know. But this is the truth in Christ. If you read this backwards, you know what this says? This says that we are a new man created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And because of that, we can put off the old man. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Because we're, we were created in, in God in true righteousness and holiness, he is now renewing our, our mind, renewing our spirit. And because of that work, we can, we can put off those former things. We can be free from those former things, right? And that is the truth of who Christ is. We prayed starting this uh, uh, tonight by just thanking God that he, he's a living God. God is not dead, my friends, right? And we serve the one and the only living God, the God that shows up. And the beauty of Christ's work for us and for all who are willing to accept it is that as we stand before God, we are all ready. I want you to pay very close attention to this. We are already made righteous and holy in God's sight. Already. Because it was all about Jesus. Right. It was all about wh who he was and what he did. And because of that, we can stand before Christ and we can stand before the Father and be accepted. But in this life, Satan is going to try and put you back in chains, right? Because he hates, he hates that freedom. He hates seeing the mercy and the grace of God because you know what? He didn't get it. It was never offered to him, and he hates it, right? And he knows, Satan knows, that he has absolutely no power over anybody in this room unless God gives it to him. And he knows because he has no power, he cannot make us do anything. Ah, but if he can trick you to putting those chains on yourself, he's a pretty sneaky guy, right? So I want you to think about uh, the cartoons and the movies and things like that. You know, there's always, there's always these races that come up. And there is always the good guy who we all know is going to win, right? Because the good guy always wins in the movies anyways. And then there's always the bad guys who knows he's going to lose. So instead of racing fair, he sends his little henchman to go forward. You know, and he switches the arrow instead of going left to go right to steer him off track, right? Or he puts a little, little, little pit or he puts a little booby trap you know, throws something in the road. He's always going before him, right? Why? Because he knows he's going to lose. He's got no hope, right? Christ has already given us victory. Christ has already given us victory over sin and death, right? He's already given us his word and his promise of power. And all Satan can do is try and go ahead of us and, and throw things in front of the roads and trick us to putting those chains back on. That if we're, not, if we're not really sure God said go left, when he flips that sign, we might walk right into him. Right? But be rest assured, outside of that, he has no power. You see, when the world walks in their ways, 
in verses 17 and 19, when they walk in futility, when they walk in darkness, when they're alienated from the life of God. It's because they don't have the Holy Spirit. It says they have blindness in their heart. They haven't accepted the truth, right? They haven't received that, okay? But we are not of the world, ladies and gentlemen. See, in Jesus, his spirit illuminates us. He writes his law on our hearts. He gives us his word as a lamp to our feet, right? And we have been given the power. Now, like I said, we're already in in God's sight. We're already righteous and holy, okay, as far as having that entrance into his kingdom. But in this life, we have been given the power to continue acting in righteousness and to maintain in our walk and to maintain holiness. So I want to define some of these terms for us, right? So righteousness, this is a a definition I got from a good friend of mine, Pastor Ray Tier, and it was really simple. I liked it, so it just stuck with me. And he said, righteousness is doing anything that puts you in right standing with fill in the blank, right? So by Christ's payment, we are made righteous. We are put in good standing and right standing before God, okay? But as we pursue, as we Christians pursue Christ in our daily lives, we have to act righteously. We have to first do things that keep us in right standing before God, and also, as we follow his words, it'll keep us in right standing with other people, right? That's, that's righteousness, Now, holy, on the other hand, this is interesting, okay? Holy really just means, like, set apart, okay? And there's a couple definitions, but really set apart. But as I was thinking about that, I was considering, what exactly is holy? Because even if you look up on Google, they're going to refer you back, oh, it's a religious term, and it's used in the Bible, and yada, yada, yada. So what exactly is holy? And I started thinking, the only things that I could really think of that were... um, considered holy in the Bible specifically are the tools of the tabernacle, right? The showbread. And why were they holy? Because they were tools of worship. The burning bush, when God spoke to Moses, he said, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. Well, why was it holy ground? Because it was a place of worship before God because he was there to speak. And when I started thinking of that, ah, I got joy because the fact that we have been made holy by the power of Christ means that we are tools of worship. Does that make sense? You following? We are supposed to live our lives as tools of worship for the living God, first for ourselves, but also to draw others and to allow others into that worship. And that is an amazing responsibility, but it's an amazing privilege. I'm sorry? That's right. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They sing it all day, every day, without, without stopping, right? So what should our, well, I'll ask this in a second. Let me read from here. Verses 25 through 30. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So question, what should, as Christians, what should our relationship be to sin and to holiness? Of both of them? That's not good. What Bible are you reading? No, 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 no. Um, actually, it's a, it's a trick question, right? Because it's one or the other. Every, every choice, every opportunity before us is one or the other. And as tools of worship, people made holy, or we are tools of, of worship, people made holy, and we are made right in God's sight, we are righteous. And you know, Matthew five forty eight says, therefore, be perfect or be holy, depending on the translation, as your f- heavenly Father is perfect and holy. So how do we actually fulfill that role? That's the question. If we're tools of worship, if we're called to walk in righteousness, if we're called to walk and act according to our holiness, how do we actually fulfill that? Because that seems like kind of a big bill, right? Practice? Practice makes perfect. Well, perfect practice makes perfect. That's what they told me. But uh, practice? Okay. Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of misconceptions, right, about walking out the Christian lifestyle. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that this is really why we're seeing people leave the church. This is especially why we're seeing the youth, you know, they go through youth group and they play some games and they eat some pizza and they shove marshmallows in their mouth and choke. Anybody ever played that game? Anybody? No? Okay. Anyways, chubby bunny, look it up. Um, This is why the young people are leaving the church, right? Because we always think it's all on us. It's, it's too much, right? Or it's, so, it's something so hard to strive for. Why? Why even try? Or on the other side, as well, if God is going to love us anyways, we might as well do what we want, which is, whoo, that's not good, <laughs> okay? But the truth is, you know, we can't work our way into heaven. And the beauty of that fact is that we don't have to because Jesus already did that, okay? What we have to do is we have to learn to replace sinful choices. We have to learn to replace um, old desires with the new ones, okay? And I want to give you an example. As we read through this, I want you to notice he didn't say just, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, okay? And he didn't just say, well, be good and be happy and be that. No, no, no. I want you to notice in verse 25. He's telling us how to walk. Putting away lying. Putting away lying. Speak truth with your neighbor. When you see that opportunity before you, rather than choosing the ways of the, of the flesh, just speak truth. Why? Because we are members of one another in Christ. He doesn't say don't be angry. He says be angry and do not sin. Don't give place for the devil in your life. 
right? He who stole, he doesn't just say, well, just try really hard not to steal. He says, no, 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 right? Quit focusing on that. Work and do what's good so that instead of taking what's not yours, you'll have something to give to him who has none so he doesn't have to steal, right? And let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Rather, say what is good, necessary to build each other up. That's what edification means, that you're imparting grace, that you're imparting grace to the hearers, right? We have to learn to make choices, simple choices that are going to separate us from the world and give us unity with the, with the brethren. That's, that's holiness. And we have to learn to impart grace in all we do. And he, he sums that up in verses 31 and 32 when he says, let all bitterness, oh, I'm sorry, let me start at uh, 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Rather, let all bitterness, wrath, let all anger, let all clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with malice. All those things that we were thinking about, all those things that characterize the old flesh, man, just file that in the trash. File that in the trash, okay? But rather, rather, walk in kindness. Be tenderhearted. Let yourself be vulnerable, right? Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. And you know, I think I actually said this in my sermon on Sunday too. I, actually, I know I did, but some of y'all weren't here, so I'll say it again. You know what the secret to, uh, to not sinning is? You know, I, I have even close friends who are like, well, I'm just really, I've been trying so hard just not to do this and not to do this and not to do this, but I always mess up. And it's just so difficult, right? You know what the, the, the secret to not sinning is? Quit trying. Okay? Let me justify that for a second. <laughs> Nobody walk out and leave. That, this would be bad timing, if, you know? Um, bad timing. Stop trying. Quit putting your eyes, quit putting your eyes and your focus on the sinful nature. Because guess what? It's, it was crucified, right? It's done. Quit pulling up the past. Take your eyes off that sinful nature and put it on Christ. Put your focus on imitating Jesus. Put your focus on asking, Lord, what do I do in this situation? Lord, how can I worship you now? Right? That's how we walk in holiness. That's how we learn to be righteous. Because when we begin to act like Jesus and love other people, that's when we'll be in right standing with the Lord and right standing with others. You see, I said earlier that we, being holy, that means we're tools of worship. Right? And I asked the question, how do we fulfill that role? And I want to give you a simple answer. Think about the tests that you've been going through in your life. Maybe tests that you've had before, right? I want you to think about the temptations, the times you failed. I want you to think about all these moments just for a minute. I don't want you to dwell on them all day. We already got past that part, right? Um, but I want you to start seeing those, temp uh, those, those tests and temptations not as struggles and as, oh man, and pitfalls. I want you to start seeing them as opportunities. Opportunities to worship. By doing what God has given you the power to do, which is walk 
in the Spirit. I want you to consider them opportunities to worship by showing others the reality of Christ in your actions. Being reviled that you don't revile in turn and return. Right? Being meek and not forcing outcomes. Choosing to love the brethren, to love each other in Christ, even if you don't agree. Even if you got to hang out with Will for a day. I mean, it's, uh, we, we pray for Sydney. It's a rough job, but, you know, we're going to love each other anyways. When we start seeing these as opportunities to worship and to follow Christ through our actions, that is when we have victory because then our eyes are on the source. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for this night. And Father God, for everyone here who has entrusted themselves to you, Lord, your word says that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. Father God, and that is, we have confessed to you, we trust in your salvation, and we know that we are in you by our love and by the spirit that you've given us. And Father God, your word is clear that anybody who does not have that but desires true life, that desires a oneness with the living God, that all they have to do is surrender and say, Lord, save me. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me and teach me to follow you. And you will give them a new heart and a new spirit. And so, Father God, we praise you for that. Lord, and we ask that you teach us to look at opportunities, to look at the struggles and the temptations in our lives, not through the eyes of the old flesh, but through eyes of the Spirit, keeping our focus on you, Lord, that we might prevail, that we would have no relationship with sin, and we would truly walk in holiness and in, righteous, in righteousness according to your word. So we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.